0: We're in chapter six, so we're gonna continue in verse fourteen, just the first half. First half. So we're gonna we're gonna do part two, uh, but we again we're looking at the importance of this armor that God's gonna give us, and there's these six pieces that we're gonna we're gonna look at. So again, we're starting with the belt of truth, or girding your waist with truth, and every every week going forward, hopefully, if we don't do two parts or every week or every uh, piece of armor. Uh, we're gonna add to it so next week or whenever we're gonna have the breastplate of righteousness and so forth and by the time we're done we're gonna see this full armor that God has provided for us and in reality this armor really is Christ because often throughout the New Testament Paul tells us to put on Christ right so we're putting on Christ and there's an importance to this armor because obviously there's a battle that's going on. You guys remember this? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. There is an actual battle that is going on. And although it is not physical and we are not wrestling against one another, flesh and blood, we are wrestling against principalities and powers of this world, right? There is Satan, right? And Satan meaning what? What was, what was the, the definition of Satan? The accuser, right? Diablo, he's the he's the accuser. He is the one that condemns and accuses you. But Jesus is not the condemner. Everybody know John 3:16? I think we talked about this last week. No? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But even more important or just as important, I won't say more important, just as important as verse 17, which I can't really remember right now. <laughs> But I know it's important. John three, John three sixteen. I wish I was smarter than I am, but I'm not, and that's okay. John, uh, um, let's see. John three seventeen. We went uh, a few about a month or two ago. We went um, uh, tagging some walls in the expression tunnel, at NC State. You guys remember that? Our life together, guys. And so all throughout the tunnel, I was writing John three seventeen because everybody knows John 3:16, right? Even I know and I don't, like I can't even quote 3:17 right now. But 3:17 is such a great verse because it says right here, "For God did not send his wor- his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved." Right? A lot of people think that Christians are the ones that are coming around to condemn them, right? You know, the 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 gay activists and then you got these so-called Christians over here who are You know, putting up those verses that saying you know God hates gays and all that, and here we are condemning them, but they're not understanding that that's not our job and that's not what Christ wants or is is doing. He, God didn't send His only Son to condemn the world, but to save the world. Right? He's giving you this opportunity, this. Period of grace, and specifically this period of grace, which is your entire lifetime. Now, everybody's lifespan is different, right? It spans from not being born to, I don't know, what's the oldest person in the world right now? Hundred something, right? Now you'd be lucky to to get that old. And all the old people, they're like, "Yeah, you just you know drink a a diet Pepsi and smoke a cigarette a day, and that's what got me to this age." You're like, "Dude, come on, no, right?" You guys heard that? They like they yeah. Anyways. There's this period of grace that God wants you to be born again. He wants to redeem you to what what we once were, right? With Adam and Eve. Remember that? Like he created it and it was perfect. It was beautiful. Like God walked with Adam and Eve. Like he was with them. But then obviously you guys know this. And if you don't, for the first time, we screwed up. And we brought sin and death into this world. And because of that disobedience and because of sin, there is this consequence of death. And even worse than a physical death, there is this separation from God. Which means that if I do not accept his gift of grace, that I will not spend eternity with him. Because I cannot be connected with him. We cannot be together. He cannot walk with us. But because God loved us so much, we know this, John 3, 16, he sent his only son, right? And when the Holy Spirit was speaking to Mary, he said, you shall name him what? Jesus or Emmanuel, right? And Emmanuel being God with us, right? So, so God had this complete plan already figured out, and he just put it into motion all the way from the beginning when Adam and Eve sinned. We see it in, in Genesis chapter 3 that God predicted that Jesus would come on the scene, that he would crush the serpent's head, speaking of Satan. So when Jesus died, he, he bared the full wrath of God, he became sin for us. It says, he who knew no sin became sin for us so we might become the righteousness of God in him. Like God saw us and that we were right, that we were, we were good, that we could be together. Not because of anything Camden did, or I did, or you did. It was all because of what Jesus did. Because he became sin for us. And so God poured out his wrath for everyone deserving of that wrath. Everyone. And then Jesus died because he was the perfect sacrifice. Pastor Kevin talking about this morning, He was, there had to be a kinsman. There had to be somebody who was human to die for humans, right? That's why the animals were not enough back in the Old Testament. It was like putting on a a bandaid on a bullet wound. Yeah, it was nice. You covered it up. Maybe it's this huge bandaid and you couldn't see it. It's like it's like sweeping, you know, your your dust and whatever under your rug, or you know, throwing all your clothes into the closet, but not really organizing it. Right? It's just it's just covering it up. There's real no. There's no real. It's not re- It's not real. It doesn't not do what it needs to be done. And Jesus did that he died on the cross but even even just as important is that he rose again on the third day he crushed the serpent's head he defeated Satan he defeated death he defeated sin right God became man because man had to be the one to die and man is really the only one that can die but then Jesus rose on the third day and now no man can rise on his own because you and I don't have that power I mean, it was hard enough getting out of bed this morning, right? We don't have that power, but God has that power. And God defeated that consequence that was rightfully due for you and me. How awesome is that? It's awesome. It is awesome. I don't know where I'm going with that. But now here we are. Paul has given us this this armor right you are born again if you're not born again it's very simple you don't have to you don't have to say the exact prayer that John gave this girl you don't have to say the exact prayer you know that the preacher gives or the pastor gives Romans 10:9 says if you believe in your heart and you can conf- you confess that Jesus is Lord you will be saved you don't need to be saved at an altar call it's not because you said these certain words it's, co- it's because of who you believed in You can say anything you want to say but it's really about the belief do i believe that jesus truly died for me am i going to repent of my sin right it's it's a it's a two-way thing you gotta you gotta acknowledge yes i'm a sinner i need a savior jesus be my savior and two now that i understand that i'm a sinner and that he's my savior and he's righteous and he's holy and he has that for me in my life he wants me to be righteous he says be holy as i am holy He doesn't say okay here's your grace now do whatever you want with it right like go live up your life and you know when when you think about me think about me no like what kind of relationship is that that's a bad one that's a i've never had a my one and only true relationship has been with whitney and we have never treated each other that way right you become more intimate with one another the more that you are with one another the more that you respect one another right? The more that you appreciate the gifts and everything that's given and Christ has given us this gift of grace and we're not to take advantage of it. And Paul reminds us over and over in Romans and Corinthians that we're not to take advantage of that grace, right? It's like, I'm going to do what I want to do. Jesus, I'm going to live my life. I was talking to somebody not long ago and they were sharing that they were sharing the gospel with somebody. And he's like, you know, I don't, I'm not going to accept Jesus. I'm going to do it when I'm, I'm, you know, later in life. You know, like when I'm 90, I want to do what I want to do right now. But that's, that's not right. And some of us even treat it the same way where we are like, okay, I'll accept the grace now. But I'm still going to do what I want to do because I know that Christ will always forgive me. Isn't that wrong? That's wrong. And Paul says, don't take advantage of that grace. And God gives us grace upon grace. John tells us grace upon grace daily daily. And he reminds us and paul reminds us here and he tells us and he warns us that we are fighting this battle against satan but we're fighting it from a point of victory right we sang that song bianca you have you uh, now i now can you remember the lyrics what was it somebody sing it for me you have won you have won the victory no oh, that that's what it was <laughs> you have won the victory right it's not like, okay, Jesus, like we're waiting for you to win. No, he's won. Now it's just a matter of let's, let's let this play out in God's timing and we fight from the stance of victory. Satan literally has nothing on us. Nothing. Although he can use his tricks and his deceptions to get to us. His power is nothing compared to Christ. It says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so we were reminded again of this belt of truth, and we talked again last week of the importance of truth because this world lacks truth. And I want to I warn you. I want to exhort you. I want to just enlighten you to how important truth is. And what we learned about in our, our definition of truth is that truth is what? Truth is not relative. There is not multiple truths. There is one absolute truth and people hate that. People hate that because then what happens is that my thoughts, my ideas are now negated. Right? They're nothing. Right? And the world that we live in today is like you, you know, you be you and you you do what you want to do. You you know, wherever your heart leads you, you follow it, you know, doing all these things and and it's it's wrong. It's it's deceptive. It, it brings me to an idea that that m- my thoughts, my truths are greater than anyone else's. But what I come to realize is that the more that you seek those is that you, you fail miserably and that they're wrong. Because it's not truth. Right? And so what is truth? Jesus. And to expound upon Jesus? The word of God. Because Jesus in John 1 says, In the beginning was the word of God, and the word was with God, and the word was God right? Jesus is the word. He says it multiple times throughout the gospels that he is the word. And what word are we talking about? We're talking about scripture. We're talking about the Bible. We're talking about this thing that was written over thousands of years by multiple, multiple people in different uh, geographical locations, different cultures. And yet it was all inspired by God. And if you read it, and you study it, you realize that every single piece of scripture points to Jesus Christ. And that none of it contradicts itself. And you've got these, you, you will have these scholars and you'll have these smart people who will say, well, this and that. And, you know, you'll, you'll think for a minute, well, that does sound like it contradicts itself. But the more that you study and the more that you trust, you realize it really doesn't. And truth is what we need in this world. Because what we're going to find out is that there's a reason that we need truth. That we need this belt. Because... Right, think about it like this. You need certain pieces of armor because some of it is just more exposed or because that is how the enemy will attack. Right? For instance, like... I don't know. Let's say you're playing football. You're, you're going to go out there with a helmet on, right? Right. I mean... <laughs> I mean good luck, right? I and mean, we're, we're talking about like pros, you know like they wouldn't annihilate one another without a helmet. I mean, they already do, but <clears throat> like you wear it for you wear it for a reason because you already know and you expect something to come to protect yourself. And so Paul starts with truth because truth is key to all key to it all. it it holds everything together. If you can't start off with truth, if you can't understand what truth is. All the rest of them don't matter you know we we looked at the history of the belt and you know it protected you it had these those those i don't even know what you call those things you see it it protected you from from whatever it came about from your lower body but also it held your garment together and typically the garment was a little bit longer it was like a dress and so you're going to battle you don't want to trip over yourself it would hold it together and that's the importance of truth If you try to go out into battle if you try to just even just go to school if you just try to go to the grocery store if you just watch this or that if you are not girded with truth and this understanding of of actual biblical truth that you will trip and you will fall and you won't even get into the battle the rest of the armor won't even won't even matter because you'll just be tripping and stumbling over yourself that you can't even get to the battle that there'll be just some stray arrow that comes by and just knocks you in the head right that's why the, the belt of truth is so important. That is why the word of God is so important. The word of God, even though it was written over thousands of years and thousands of years ago, it's still applicable today. You know, I think about it and I'm like, well, Snapchat wasn't around like what? Six years ago? Seven years ago? Eight years ago? does it matter. Ten years ago. For sure. 30 years ago. For sure. 2000 years ago. For sure. Right? sin is still sin right even though like there's like new ways of getting to it and sin is still sin you know and that's why the scripture is so awesome and it's so key and it's so it, it's for yesterday today and tomorrow it, it applies and it, it, the word says of itself that it will never wither it will never fade it will last for eternity And although there's new ways to sin, the scripture always reminds us that it's really not about how to do it, it's really about the heart. And the heart has stayed the same for generation upon generation from the beginning to the end. It's about the heart. Because Jesus even says, look, if your hand caused you to sin, what do you do? Cut it off. off. And then your other hand caused you to sin, what do you do? And then your eye, and then your mouth, and then your ears, and then your feet, and then your nubs, what do you do? cut it all off and <laughs> it's a little too far right so you are left with nothing just a head with none of these awesome features just a body finally guys you have stopped sinning right you have finally stopped sinning no because again it's, it's in the heart Jeremiah 17 reminds us that the heart is more deceitful and wicked Above anything else, who can know it? God knows it. <laughs> That's why God sent his son, because he sees how wicked that we are. And yet he still loves us, right? He, he knows how wicked we are. He knows that that we ha- we hate him, that we're haters of God, that we're enemies of God. And yet he still loved us. He still loves us. But remember, this time of grace, it only extends so far. Specifically in your life, but also even greater within this time of grace in, in this span of life. I don't know when it's going to be, but there's going to be a time when Jesus comes back again. And there will be a time where for those who did not receive this grace, there is a punishment. There's a punishment. Even though that Jesus received the wrath of God on the cross and he received the punishment that was rightfully due for you and I, it only counts and you will not have to partake in it if Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Otherwise, you do have to partake in the wrath of God, and that is love. I, I know that you're like, no, that's not love. That is love. If God wasn't a just God, because you might be thinking, well, why can't God just be like, okay, well, that's fine, just go to hell, right? Why does why does he have to why does he have to pour his wrath upon them? Why does or even why does he have to send them to hell? Because there has to be a consequence. There has to be justice. If there isn't justice. If there isn't a consequence for bad then you can't receive what is good either there has to be justice so justice and God's love they're like a couple they go hand in hand it's beautiful and that's why the world hates Christians so much is because we couple it together because we genuinely do love people but we also want to let them know that you can't keep living in sin right you can't keep doing that where the world is all about just love and they'll say you just do you just do you boo boo, and it'll all pan out in the end, right? You do what your you, what your heart wants. If you want to identify as a frog, then do it, right? If you like, I don't mean to be be funny, but it's just how far we've we've it's 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 come, right? And because I identify as a frog, you can't tell me that that's not real. You can't tell me that I'm not even if i wanted to identify as a female you can't tell me that because that's what my heart is telling me but do you not remember that the heart is more deceitful and wicked above anything else right that even though that i believe it that i feel it in my heart yeah it's real it's a real feeling it's a real thought but that doesn't make it truth and satan will do this over and over he will accuse you again we are putting on this belt because what satan's going to do is he's going to attack us with deception and lies and he'll say hundreds of thousands of things he'll say yeah why don't why don't you identify as female or yeah why why don't you uh you suck why don't you know the, the kids the kids they didn't even listen today like you are just a horrible teacher nobody understands anything that's coming out of your mouth why don't you know and then and then it leads from one thing to another well your wife doesn't love you right i don't know like we just get in some type of argument or my kids they disobey and then satan's like well yeah it's cuz they don't respect you they don't love you and then at one point you get to this like does does anybody care about me does anybody like me right and you get to this point well satan's like okay well nobody cares about you so why are you still here right It's from one thing to another, these lies and these deceptions. And and if I'm not grounded in truth, and if I don't know what truth is, Satan will easily destroy me and he'll easily destroy you. Because what's interesting that we're going to look at is that Satan can actually quote the Bible, that he knows it better than you do. He knows it better than you do. He knows who God is. He knows the power of God. So he has to be a little swindler, right? He's like swiper. From dora he's just he's sneaky he's wily that's what he is the bible tells us that the text tells us in verse 11 he's put on the whole armor of god that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil the tricks the methods and the truth and you have to know the whole truth not just part of the truth the whole truth is what's going to set you free the whole truth is what you are going to use to combat those lies and deceptions because i will then realize that no my my wife does love me and let's just say she doesn't let's just say my my kids don't respect me that's okay it's okay because ultimately i know that jesus christ loves me and that man will fail me time and time again and i can't put my hope and trust in man right i didn't do that i put my hope and trust in jesus christ and if i look at the word if i look at you know, truth, I'm gonna realize that over and over and over again, everything that Satan says to me is a lie. It's a lie. Satan will say that you know you're not you're not beautiful, that you don't have friends, that you don't have this or you that. And I don't know. You know what's crazy? Some of that might actually even be truth. Maybe you really don't have friends. Maybe you feel like, I don't know, you're not beautiful. I don't know what your standard is, I don't know what the world's standard is. But you read truth and you realize, okay, God, it's okay if I don't have any friends, right? You look at David's life. Like David, there was a time in his life when he had one friend and he couldn't even go to that friend because his friend was his enemy's son, right? They had to be sneaky about it the times that they met. And there was one point where they just had to cut it off altogether. But David found his peace and his joy, not amongst his friends, but amongst who? God, and more, more specifically, or to expound upon God was the word of God. I'm going to get into this in a little bit, but Psalm 119, do you know what the longest chapter in the Bible is? I just gave you the answer. Oh Psalm 119, you know what the shortest chapter in the Bible is? Psalm 117. S- Psalm 119 is David writing 176 verses all about what? God's word. The word of God scripture it says that he delighted in it that it was like honey in his mouth you guys like honey yeah like who doesn't like honey it's good it's sweet it's natural it's awesome right and and David equates it to it's actually it's like better than honey right you gotta imagine back then they didn't have like you know Hershey bars and all this like you know yeah like honey was like the best thing around right Honey was the best thing around. It was the most sweet and tasteful thing. And he says, the word of God is just like that to me. And if I had to to poll and ask you guys, or even just individually, do do we see the word of God in the same way that David did? Do we delight in it as much as David? Do we delight in it at all? Is it sweet like honey in our mouths? I think that's Psalm 119 verse 103 and i think i'm not gonna i'm not gonna assume but that's just a question for you do you delight in god's word and let's talk about that this morning so what i want to look at let's i want to start off with um if you if you weren't here last week i'd encourage you to go listen to the message uh, from last week one of the things that we kind of ended with was that our enemy Satan he attacks truth he attacks the word right so you know we talked about how in Genesis chapter 2 or Genesis 3 I can't remember which one when Satan went up to Eve and he's like did God really say remember that what is he attacking God's word right did God really say and we see that she actually responded and she gave the truth but then she added to that truth which made it false she said, surely God said that we can't eat of it, nor touch it, unless we die. But God never said nothing about touching it. He was only talking about eating of it. That was the disobedient part. But Satan attacks God's word. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul talks about doctrines of demons that will lead some away from the faith. The enemy of our souls constantly assaults the church by twisting or denying scripture. Pulling many away from God, it is increasingly common for people to call themselves Christians and yet not believe that the Bible is true and without error, even though Scripture refers to itself as true, perfect, inspired, and enduring. And so, so many times we we want to take what we feel like it like it works for us in our life, in Scripture, and then there's other areas of Scripture where we're like, well, not not really. No, it's either all of it or none of it. You don't get to pick and choose what you like. Because, and to be honest, a lot of the scripture is not very comforting to me. A lot of it is about, you know, showing and revealing my sin and my wretchedness and my wickedness and my evilness. And that's not very comforting. Nobody likes to be exposed, right? Nobody likes to be exposed, whether it's naked. I would hate it if I were naked right now. You would hate it too. (laughs) You would hate it too. I would hate it too if you knew every single detail of my heart. I would hate it. But what's also crazy is that we condemn ourselves too much, that we're too judgmental, that we're not loving and open enough with each other, that we we conceal and we hide too much. That we can't be honest and open with one another. And that's a shame. That's a shame. Jesus also reminds us that for us as men, as women, that we shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we have to remember that it's every word. It's not just this nice word that I like, right? The the nice uplifting things like, oh, God, you love me. Well, yes, he does love you, but there's also some other stuff, right? It's every single word. If you guys were here on Wednesday night, I was able to teach on the tabernacle, in exodus chapter 25 and i didn't even get to i just like scratched the surface on that and if you look at the tabernacle you'll look that when god gave instructions for building of the tabernacle that there were every single detail that every single instruction was for a purpose and the same is true for the word of god that every single word every single sentence every single chapter every single book is in there for a purpose it is for a purpose That there's nothing in there that shouldn't be in there. It's all in there for a reason. I want to encourage you guys that as we fight this battle, that you do have to take up your belt of truth. And what that really means is that you need to be in the word of God. You need to be in it. You need to read it. You need to study it. I was telling Wednesday night people that if you read the tabernacle in Exodus 25, if you just read it, it's the most boring thing you'll ever read. If you read any of Leviticus, you'd be like, this is so boring. But if you study it, if you dig deep into it and you understand that it's more than just a surface level thing, because the word of God in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 tells us that it's living, that it's active, that it's more powerful than anything else, that it's like a two-edged sword, that there's something to it. That it goes beyond just God nitpicking and saying, yeah, I want that piece of furniture there in the tabernacle, and I want this here, and I want you to build it this way, and I want it to be this size. It's not you and I designing our houses and our rooms. No, there was a specific purpose for it. And you have to see what it is. And you look at Exodus, and you look at the tabernacle, it's just a tent. And what we find out is that it's actually a picture of the gospel to come. It's a picture of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. You look at every single word and it points to Jesus Christ. And Timothy warns us that there's going to be a, an apostasy that happens in a church. An apostasy is, is this idea of somebody leaving the faith. We talked about this last week. That there are going to be people who are sitting in these seats. I remember when I was in youth group, I remember one specific kid. The kid loved Jesus. He was He was that type of kid that would just, he'd be walking the streets, we'd be at Taco Bell, we'd be at school, and he'd just be telling people about Jesus. Ten years later, the dude's just, I don't have to explain it, but he's he's not who he was. And now the question can be, well, you know, was he really saved? Look, that's between God and man. But Timothy warns us that there's going to be this apostasy that happens, that people are going to fall away from the faith. It says in, chapter 4 in 1st Timothy verse 1 now the spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons speaking lies and hypocrisy having their own conscience seared with a hot iron and you look at what uh the guy that wrote the the book the Christian book from 20 years ago and then the guy from Hillsong the worship leader and whoever else is going to come about in, in this apostasy You'll see that the reasoning behind it is exactly what Timothy is is telling us that they're giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. That they're following the world more than they're following Jesus. You know, I think one of them said, "You know, I just, you know, I want to be want to be more loving and open to everyone." Wait, I mean, doesn't Jesus love everyone? Are you are you not? You're missing the point what he has a struggle with is is that just is part of God, that there does have to be a consequence. Otherwise, God is not just, God is not fair, and I don't want a God who is not just and a God who is not fair. Otherwise, there would be no rhyme, there would be no reason. But God is just, God is fair. And if you don't accept in his free gift of grace, there is a consequence, it's just that simple. And even today, it's, <laughs> it goes beyond just the apostasy. It goes to preachers and teachers. And this is what I'm excited about. And I hope you guys have time. Let's go till 1230. So bear with me because this is really important. There's many preachers and teachers who appear just about as godly as can be on the outside, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And Paul actually warns us about this. He says they have the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. He says, avoid such people. You cannot tell a biblically sound preacher from a false one by the way that they dress or the way that they look or the way that they talk. That's because even Satan, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 4 tells us that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Again, that's even where Hollywood gets it wrong. You know, this red pitchfork guy. No, he disguises himself as an angel of light. Remember, he has these tricks, these deceptions He's not going to come at you like you're going to spot him from a mile away. Oh yeah, that's Satan. No, you're going to, you're going to be deceived. He's going to come at you with deception. But if you know the truth and you're near the shepherd, the shepherd would be like, Hey man, watch out for that wolf. I know he looks like a sheep, but that's fake. Invert and going on, it says, so it, it doesn't surprise if his servants, also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness their end will correspond to their deeds so there's even people now and if you go on Instagram if you go on YouTube and I'm not encouraging you to if you go on TBN you will see if you go to sometimes even if you're just visiting a church and I'm not saying this is every church but it's more often than not it seems like nowadays where there are servants who disguise themselves as having righteousness Who disguise themselves as like Satan when he disguised himself as an angel of light. And it sounds like they are preaching the Word of God. This is where it's really crazy. They can have the stinking Bible open and they can be preaching the Word of God, but it can still be a lie. Isn't that crazy? And that's why I encourage you, one, to always do your own study, to always be in the Word yourself, and to always have your Bible. You know, there was one time when I said, and I accidentally said it. I said, the Bible is not for you. I said that one time. I said, the Bible is not for you. And then I took like a two or three week break. I think I went to California or something. And it was eating at me for this entire time because I wasn't able to correct myself and apologize and say, no, I, I, didn't, mean, I didn't mean to say that. But you know what's crazy is that nobody came up to me and said, hey, man, you're wrong. Not, not a single person. Because that was completely wrong. It was and now please understand from my heart and my perspective is it was an accident and come out the right way i meant to say that the Bible's not about you and i accidentally said the bible's not for you but i came back and i i had to say it to get it off my conscience you know so even here in this church you don't just take every single word for god honest truth no you only take this for god's honest truth right and even more so, guys, when you're not in a church that teaches the way that we teach and the way that we teach is special because Timothy reminds us that we are, we are to be above and beyond, that we're to, um, I forget what he says. He says, uh, oh, I can't find it. Here we go. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I believe we do that here at, at this church. That we come from a, a place of respect and reverence that, you know, it's not about me, but it's about Christ and that I want to get every single thing right. I don't want to lead anybody astray. That's not my heart. I want to lead them to Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so important for us at this church to go book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. If you guys have ever seen any of the churches, been to any of the churches, they will teach topically. Is that wrong? No, not really but it leads you to more error. Because what you're doing, what you're doing, listen, is that there's really two main ways of studying the Bible. There's two main ways of preaching the Bible. There's one that's called eisegesis and there's one that's called exegesis. And I'm getting very technical now, so follow with me. Eisegesis is this. It's reading into a text and forcing forcing your idea, your thoughts into the Bible or into the text, which wasn't actually there to begin with thus forcing a meaning that does not exist in that passage to satisfy one's idea or belief and that's the opposite of exegesis was what we do exegesis has this idea of exposing the text it's expository i don't i don't come up with this great idea guys where i'm like all right let's talk about church attendance today and then i flip through you know and i find out okay well this guy didn't show up there let me use that verse it happens over and over and over again and although I'm using the Bible, see, this is the crazy part, I'm using the Bible, it can be interpreted wrong because you're not reading the context. You're not reading for what the Bible really means and what it's really meant for. You're applying your thoughts, your ideas, your traditions, what you've been taught. And you know what's crazy is I'm going to ask you guys a few questions in a minute where you're going you're gonna to think that it's the right answer, but it's actually wrong because it's been taught wrong to you as you've grown up or you've, saw, you've seen it on veggie Tales, or you've seen it on this, but you've never gone back to Scripture and say, you know what? That's actually not right. That's not right. There's exegesis, right, is what we do, which means to lead out or to draw out what the Bible is actually saying. One way, we take what we want and then you insert it. That's eisegesis. And the other way, we take from it what it actually says for our edification. One way, eisegesis, we say what we want it to mean. And the other way, Exegesis, we take away what God has to say. An eisegesis is interpreting scripture by one's own personal rules rather than a logical, consistent, or reverent understanding from the Bible. You're not reading in context. You're not reading, you know, what does God actually say throughout the entirety of the Bible? Eisegesis is somebody who is not diligent to present themselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. it's so important for you and i to study in a way that we look at the context that we look at what god originally meant and not be so uh caught in you know what we wanted to believe what we wanted to say remember your heart is so deceitful I, i remember plenty of times you know being in sin and reading the Bible and, and trying to justify texts and saying that I am not condemned, that yes, no, God loves me. God really would not condemn me or, 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 or send me to hell. Right? I'm sure you guys have done that too, where you've read text and you're like, well, I'm not that bad. Right? And, it, and then I find one text that says I'm bad and then I'm like, ooh, no, let me go find a different one. <laughs> I know we've done that. You're trying to force the text of what you wanted to say and that's completely wrong. And I see it and I'm I'm like I'm like a weirdo right now. Like I'm just on Instagram all the time listening to these pastors and they they have these topical they have these you know Thank you, Emily, I started following preachers and sneakers. Where are you, Emily? Oh she's not Oh, there you are. Pre you guys are all wearing maroon, I couldn't see you. Right? There's these guys who are preaching with, you know, fifteen hundred dollar shoes on and, and everything else and that's a whole nother subject, whatever. But the, the main point, and I don't even really care about that too much. The main point is that they're preaching the word of God wrong. Because they're trying to be cool. They're trying to be hip. They're trying to have these cool phrases that you would write down and that you would put in your Instagram caption. You know, they're, they're trying to come up with these catchy, you know, visuals and sayings and titles. Because really what it's about is it's about them. You know, it's about wanting to tickle the ears of the people and make them feel good. But when I have to go verse by verse and when I have to expose the text, I have to say some pretty gnarly stuff. I have to tell you that, yeah, you're a sinner, that you can't stay in your sin. That yes, God does love you, but God's love is not going to triumph his, his justice. Remember, they go hand in hand. And that's just one example. It's, it's over and over and over. Here's the process of exegesis, the the good way of doing it. This is how I study the Bible. This is how you should study the Bible. One, there's observation. What does the passage say? Two, there's interpretation. What does the passage mean? Three, there's correlation or context. How does the passage relate to the rest of the Bible? What's happening around it? Don't, Don't just take one verse here and there. Application. How should this passage affect my life? But then here's eisegesis. This is the mo- more popular one that's that's happening. It involves imagination. What idea do I want to present? Exploration, what scripture or passage seems to fit with my idea? And application, what does my idea mean? And the more that you study truth and you understand truth and you hear these guys spew out, you know, this nonsense, it's it's almost comical, but in the same sense it's sad because people are eating it up. It's motivational, but it's not life-changing. It doesn't cut the heart like the word is supposed to do, like Hebrews 4.12 tells us. Let me give you examples of Jesus some Bible misconceptions. What did Jonah get swallowed by? A big fish. A lot of us would think that it was a whale. But the text does not say a whale. It says a big fish. How many wise men visited Jesus when he was born? We have no idea, but we always say it's Three we do that because there was three gifts but that doesn't mean that there was three people what fruit did Adam and Eve eat well all the time we say it's an apple but the text does not tell us it's an apple it says it's a fruit what was what was the disciple Thomas's famous given name Thomas doubting Thomas right it's wrong and we say it all the time well doubting Tom Thomas did not doubt guys he did not doubt in John chapter 20 uh, verse 24 it says this now Thomas one of the twelve called the twin was not with them when Jesus came you guys remember this we studied this not long ago so the other disciples told him we have seen the Lord but he said to them unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side I will not believe I will never believe he says doubt has this idea of this waver this hesitation to be uncertain but no, he was not a doubting Thomas. He was an unbelieving Thomas, right? So that's another thing that's, that's passed down through tradition, but we're not really looking at the text. And when I actually came through the text when we were studying John 20, I was like, that's wrong. I've heard this all the time. How long was Noah and his family on the ark? No, no. He was on for a year, about a year. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Do you see how we, we take these misconceptions and now these are, are little things like this isn't going to keep you from God's grace and salvation. Don't get me wrong. But if we're messing up in these little things, how much more are we messing up on the important foundational doctrinal things? How many of each animal did Noah take on the ark? Yeah. A lot of times we think it was just two, right? For some it was two, for some it was Seven says for the unclean animals i want you to take or no I, you shall take of you seven of each of every clean animal a male and female seven each of the birds right genesis chapter seven but we watch veggie tales we see this we hear preachers and we don't look at the actual text we don't study it for ourselves and we just assume okay well yeah he took a male and a female and they made it and they made the rest of them well i'm sure that probably did happen i think part of then bringing extra ones was for food and sacrifices but again this common misconception is everyone a child of god no no everyone is not a child of god for me to be a child of god i have to be born again and then i am a child of god i am a son and a daughter look at romans chapter 8 about that if you want we take verses out of context we talked about this last week philippians 4:13. i can do all things through christ who strengthens me it's on my Instagram it's I got it tatted you know it's just it's my life verse man because it just it propels me to do whatever God calls me to do or whatever I desire to do like I will win homecoming queen because it's Christ who gives me the strength to do so I will win you know this whatever I will do that I will achieve my dreams I will become you know a, a, a doctor I'll become a lawyer I will do those things now, can, can Christ lead you to those things? Of course. That's not what the verse means. You've got to read in context again. I wish I could give you great examples outside of... There was one great example. There was one great example that I read that was giving the idea of eisegesis where you just take one sentence out of a text and the sentence sounded good, but then you read the surrounding text and you're like, oh, snap, that's not good. It's kind of like the idea of you know not using correct grammar like I ate grandma and you forgot to put the comma after I ate right it's it's in similar to that so philippians 4:13 actually has to do with this idea you know that that paul was content whether he had a lot or whether he had nothing and that it was christ who gave him the strength to be content in those times so you might be a complete utter failure but it will be christ who gives you the strength To be content in those times to to get through those times another example is revelation chapter three sorry guys i'm going long revelation chapter three and this is a huge one chapter in verses four through 14 through 21 you guys know this the story of uh where john's writing the seven to the seven churches and you got the lukewarm church anybody heard of the lukewarm church how many of you guys have heard that taught okay good well that doesn't count because i taught it right hopefully I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be arrogant, but I really I, I I poured myself into the text and I wanted to see what actually meant. But so many people will take it at surface value and they will say, and I wish we could read it, I don't have time because we're running out, but do it on your own time. Revelation chapter three, verses fourteen through twenty-one. Is that that Jesus that Jesus is using John to write to these churches, and Jesus is saying here in verse 15, he says, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, what preachers do nowadays or back then or whenever is that they will imply, right? Because this is how we use our word hot. Hot is like a good thing. Like, oh man, you know, Emilio's hot or, you know, whatever. Hot is good. So so we, or, you know, you're on fire for God. I don't know where that like that's weird you're on fire for God right so you're hot so hot has this idea that you're you're for God you're for God and then cold has the idea of what that you're not for God you know kind of like the cold shoulder you're not for God but then but then they give this idea you know well lukewarm is what in the middle what does the middle mean what would they say what no what would they say what have you been taught either indecisive or you're a christian but you're not really for god right you're kind of just you know doing your own thing right have you guys heard that those those three examples of those three three things they got one of them right which was hot they got the other two wrong because when jesus says here in revelation chapter 3 he says i know your works he said i could wish you were cold or hot and if you read that if, if you study it in an, in an exegetical way you will look at the context of the entirety of the Bible, and you will see that Christ never came to condemn, that Christ never wants you to perish, right? He says, I want all uh, uh, to be born, or what's the verse? I wish none would perish, right? That's Christ's heart. So how could God say then here, if we're gonna say that cold is bad and that you're against God, how could God say, I could wish you were cold or hot? How could he say that I wish you were either for me or against me no god wants you to be for him and so what we come to understand as we read the historical context too is that cold and hot were both good hot was therapeutic right there was a city next to Laodicea that that had hot water and then there was a city on the other side that had cold water and cold water was good because it was refreshing but Laodicea didn't have any water it was just the way that there was it was built and where it was built they didn't have any of their own springs whether hot or cold and so they would pipe in these waters but by the time the hot water and the cold water came it it was what it was lukewarm it was useless it was good for nothing it was gross and that's what Jesus says he says look I will if because you are lukewarm I will vomit you out of my mouth and if we try to imply and say well the lukewarm is a lukewarm Christian Jesus would never vomit a Christian out of his mouth Somebody who's born again. Somebody who is a part of the body of Christ. Because ultimately vomiting has to do with your body rejecting whatever that is. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm doing this this teaching in like five minutes. But do you, I give you that example because we take some of this and we interpret it the wrong way. We imply what we believe it means. And it's wrong. And it happens too often. And I want to encourage you. To be a Brean, have you guys heard that before? Have you heard of the Breans? Awesome. Be a Brean. Who's a Brean? In Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 15, Paul is just preaching his butt off. He's 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 starting church after church. People are are accepting Jesus Christ. Then he comes to Berea, and there's these Breans in verse uh, 13. Or no in verse um 11 it says these were more fair-minded than those in thessalonica speaking of the Bereans, they were fair-minded or noble and that they received the word with all readiness and they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so whether these things were so they had paul okay they had paul came and he preached the word of god and they're like eh, well let me double check on that do you get what i'm saying is that they didn't even just take Paul at his word. They trusted the tr- the truth, the Bible, the scriptures as truth. And they said, okay, well, well Paul, we're, we're hungry for the word of God. We're going to hear it, but we're also going to double check and make sure that what you're saying is correct. So we're going to search the scriptures. That's why it's so important for you to be a Berean, for you to search the scriptures and say, is this so or is this wrong? And by all means, if it's wrong, there needs to be some 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 way of of calling it out right of correcting it in love so be a Berean there's three things about them three lessons that we can learn is one they received the word with great eagerness right they desired the word of God do you desire the word of God do you desire the truth because listen guys the truth is what sets you free the truth is is what's what's it's beautiful it's awesome it's the lies and the deceptions which hurt and they destroy As two they examine the scriptures daily to see if these things were so they examined it and number three is that the attitude of the Bereans is that the next verse in verse 11 it says therefore many of them believed so what is your attitude when you hear the word of God is it stuck up is it stuck in your ways is is if God is trying to teach you something and you're like no I don't want to hear it or does the word of God transform you right does the word of god transform you paul reminds us of that in romans chapter 12 verses one and two does the word of god transform you does it change you word of god is important it is an absolute truth and it is important for you as a disciple as a lover of jesus to abide in god's word and i'm going to challenge you with this and i'm going to end with this and this might be harsh but read first john you'll be like first john is even harsher first john will question your salvation (laughs) you're like oh snap john like am i even safe? no here's the idea jesus says in john chapter 8 verses 31 through 32 if you abide in my word you are my disciples indeed and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free but what i'm gonna look at is the first part he says if you abide in my word you are my disciples and my question to you my challenge to you is if you don't read your bible do you really love jesus if you don't read your bible do you really love jesus and i'm not questioning your salvation because that's not my job that's not my role that's between you and god but my my question my thought for you and for me is if i am born again and i do consider myself a follower of jesus how can i not read the word of god how can i not immerse myself in truth one it is a beautiful it is a freeing thing but it is a necessary thing you would not go to battle without truth you cannot go to battle without truth actually no i'm sorry let me rephrase that you can go to battle without truth but you'll lose you'll lose and you'll get hurt you'll get beat but if you know truth you'll win you will always win satan has nothing against it nothing